0: siri are you ready to record i'm ready caitlin okay go hello and welcome to planet money this is siri i don't know the answer to everything but i do know this the best way to listen to planet money is to download their new iphone app you can get it in the app store it's awesome on with the show Hello and welcome to Planet Money. I'm Alex Bloomberg. And I'm Sonari Clinton. Today is Friday, June 8th. And Sonari, we're so happy to have you on the program. You are a business reporter for NPR. You cover the auto industry and you are with us today to tell the fascinating story of the Lincoln. Well, I'm happy to be here to help tell this story. This car, believe it
1: or not, used to be the coolest car in the world, driven by celebrities, kings, moguls. But today, well, driven by the old, the out-of-touch, and frankly, guys hustling
0: you at the airport. On today's program, we're going to tell the story of how this car fell so far and how it's trying to regain its former glory, rise from the ashes. And how the future of the American auto industry is, well riding on it. That's the only car pun you'll hear in this program, we promise. That's all coming up. But first, the Planet Money Indicator with our very own Jacob Goldstein. You're not Jacob Goldstein.
2: Do I look like Jacob Goldstein you? No, you do, do not. <laughs> Hi, Alex. Hi, Zoe. Today's Planet Money Indicator is $50 billion. $50 billion is the minimum amount of money that Spain is going to need to recapitalize its banks. Spain doesn't have it. So they're probably going to get a bailout this weekend.
0: You just dropped a lot of knowledge on us there. So (laughs) so you're predicting a bailout of the Spanish banks this weekend, and the bailout will be to recapitalize the banks. So that means that basically the way banks work, they need this certain amount of money as a cushion to protect them against losses. That's called capital generally. And so what you're saying is that the European Union is going to give Spain this extra money to use as a cushion in case things go further south.
2: Yeah, they need capital because Spanish banks have made a lot of bad loans. In particular, a lot of housing loans. Spain had a big housing bubble. They've had a big housing crash. Um, and they have a lot of housing loans out there that they need to get paid back eventually. That probably won't. They've also made a lot of loans to the Spanish government. And that is looking more dubious. Right. And so that's
0: a problem, though, because normally when banks get into trouble, so like when U.S. banks got into trouble, the U.S. government was the entity that lent them the money to get themselves out of trouble. It seems like if the Spanish government is part of the problem, then how are they going to lend the Spanish banks the money to get themselves out of trouble?
2: Well, that's why this is one of those Eurozone-style bailouts. So the money is coming from the bailout fund affectionately known as the EFSF. That money also went to Greece and to Portugal and to Ireland when they needed bailouts. The bailouts were very different. That was a bailout of countries. This is a bailout of banks. Uh, But the money's coming from the same place. And how are you so sure? You know know this is going to happen this weekend. Are you like, is this if... This is being widely reported as something that is going to go down this weekend, and all the finance ministers are having this big emergency session. The Spanish banking leaders have come out and very publicly almost demanded, but more like begged for the money from somewhere, um, and EU officials have intimated that it will come from them. So, you're right. They haven't formally announced that the bailout is going to happen Saturday or Sunday. It probably will, if not this weekend, then very soon, because the Spanish banks are badly in need of money, and the money has to come from somewhere.
0: All right. So Chase, that was great. Thanks. Bye. So, on to the program. Sonari. I have to tell you, when you first told me about this story... I couldn't believe that the Lincoln used to be the coolest car in the world. I mean, the Lincoln, I think old people in retirement communities, golf pants, or, you know, that airport town car. You know, most cities have these car services that you can hire to take you to the airport. Usually the car you hire to take you to the airport, that's a Lincoln town car. That's what I think when I think Lincoln.
1: Well, I, I know that that's the Lincoln today, but believe me, 50 years ago, the Lincoln was the exact opposite. If you don't believe me, I'll let the chairman of the board, Frank Sinatra, tell you.
2: I like a new Lincoln with all of its class. I like a martini
1: and bird on the glass. All right, Alex, this is not a commercial. This is just Frank Sinatra singing a song about the coolest things he can imagine. The
0: song is called Nothing But The Best. And at the time, Lincoln was the best. It's just so hard to imagine. I mean, think of the Frank Sinatra equivalent of today. I mean, I guess, what would that be Jay-Z? These are the cars he sings about.
1: Yeah, it's impossible to imagine but for the company that owns Lincoln is trying to change all that. Actually, it needs to change that so let's explain ford to be a global car company a global automaker it needs to be able to compete with its foreign competition and right now it's just not quite there Ford can compete with those companies on their low-cost models so toyota has a camry and ford has the fusion honda has a civic and ford has the focus but what ford doesn't have is a real deal competitive luxury car i mean alex just just name
0: all the luxury brands you can think of. All right. Uh, Mercedes, BMW, Rolls-Royce, uh, Lexus, uh, Infinity. I'm running out of names. Yeah, the thing about that list is that there's not really an American brand
1: on the list. The most competitive American brand, actually, Alex, is Cadillac. But it's not in the top five worldwide. It's not even top five in the U.S. And Lincoln, not on that list at all. It used to be the pinnacle. And, you know... To allow a a brand like that to diminish, I think, is sacrilegious. That was David Champion with Consumer Reports. So how did this sacrilege happen? Well... You know the story. The American
0: car companies got comfortable and bloated, and they didn't see the challenges coming from abroad. This is the case with a lot of big companies. It's sort of a classic case in business. You know, the smaller, hungrier companies abroad who want market share, they're more open to innovation. They need to innovate more, whereas the big, comfortable companies, they they don't see the innovation coming, and they just get, you know, blindsided, basically. Yeah, and the height of innovation for Lincoln was in the early 60s, the
1: Continental, which is this legendary car, especially in, you know, car geek circles. It was beautiful. It was innovative. It's a classic still today. But after that, the innovation kind of stopped. They turned out the same sort of bloated cars year after year. Meanwhile, Mercedes was growing its market share and then BMW and then the Japanese brands, Lexus and Infiniti.
0: Now, I just want to point out, this isn't just a sad story about Ford losing its luxury brand. It's a story bigger than that. It's about the auto industry in general, American manufacturing in general, and also the chance to create good, high-paying manufacturing jobs. That's all sort of tied up in this story of Ford being able to turn out a competitive luxury brand. It turns out a luxury brand, it's key to a lot of things that we're going to talk about. <laughs> the, the, the big key is money. You can make a
1: lot of money. To give you an example, Volkswagen, which is kind of like Ford, it has a luxury brand, Audi. About 10% of the cars VW sells are Audis, but they make up more than 50% of Volkswagen's profit.
0: So imagine if Ford is successful and the Lincoln actually becomes one of the top selling luxury brands. We're talking about hundreds of thousands more cars sold per year. At much larger profits that would be you know most likely a lot more factories a lot more workers hired in places like Detroit and Ohio
1: exactly luxury cars they're the ones that are made here and the cheaper cars are made outside the US and here's the other thing technology all the cool innovations that are standard now airbags anti-lock brakes fuel injection GPS that all started in expensive luxury cars
0: luxury is the place where automakers come up with cool new things Right. When you have these super high profit margins that you have in the luxury market, you can take these risks, basically, try new things, experiment in a way that you can't in the non-luxury market. So it's not a stretch to say that for a car company to do what it needs to do in the 21st century, which is innovate, it needs that luxury brand. And that is why Ford is banking on making the Lincoln cool again. The fate of the company sort of depends on it. But here's the question. How do they do that? It turns out
1: there is a blueprint. There is a company that has done pretty much the same thing. That company is Volkswagen, and the brand they did it with is Audi. And here's Scott Kehoe. He's the marketing manager at Audi. There was us, and there was them at that
3: time. And if you look at who uh, uh, them was, there was
1: Lexus, there was BMW, and Mercedes. At Audi, they were making this audacious move to break into that big three. This was in the early 2000s, and at the time, Audi was nowhere near close. There's this number that they use in the auto business. It's called the cross shop number. It's sort of like a ranking. It's a measure of the brands people consider when they go out to shop for a car. Audi was number seven on the list of cars in 2006, which is basically like saying they weren't even on the list at all. People who were buying luxury cars were thinking first about Mercedes and BMW and Lexus, and then three other cars before they got around to considering Audi.
0: And that is a real problem because, as Scott says, part of what makes something luxury is the fact that other wealthy people already have one. Luxury
3: tends to congregate. (laughs) And we used to celebrate this concept of we're unknown, isn't this fantastic, we're so unknown. And the brutal thing about being unknown is I think in certain segments it works fantastic. Uh, If you're running a restaurant with only a limited amount of tables, and obviously you want to keep that perfect little balance before the masses come rolling in, or you're running a nightclub, unfortunately in the luxury segment, people do not spend $90,000
1: on a great unknown. They spend $90,000 on a great known. Audi's first step, step one of the blueprint, become known. They needed to come up with a huge, effective marketing campaign.
0: Audi wrestled with what their step one should be. What should the message of this campaign be? Did they want to advertise the fact that they had 100 years of history? Did they want to remind people of all the ways that the company innovated in the car business? Did they want to advertise their connection to German design? Well, they decided that the answer would
1: be no. They'd do something
0: totally different.
1: Forget about the past and focus on the future. Literally, they decided to target people who weren't even in the luxury car market yet, but who would be there soon. And they developed a pretty aggressive marketing campaign around that idea. Younger, cooler, and edgier. Car commercials traditionally are not innovative. They're very conservative. I would say boring. But Audi tried to get out of that mold. I think...
3: We made an enemy, uh, which I think you need to do to have an effective positioning. Who is your enemy? And our enemy is staid, archaic, old-school luxury. Fur coats,
0: brass, uh, marble, old country clubs, dinosaurs. That's our enemy. I actually came across one of these Audi commercials on YouTube, and it is exactly that, funny, edgy, and creating this enemy. Like the one I saw, it opens on this huge mansion. There's like a fountain, statuary in the front yard, but there's this creepy music playing underneath. And you realize it's a spoof of that scene in The Godfather, you know, that one where the movie producer wakes up in his bed and there's something under his covers. He lifts them up to reveal the head of his favorite racing horse, and he starts screaming. Well, in this ad, he lifts the covers, and his hands, instead of being covered with blood, are covered with motor oil, and what's under the covers? The fender of his old Mercedes. Ah! 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 And, Sonari, the tagline is pretty funny. It says, we've put old luxury on notice. So that that's step
1: one. Step two... Totally separate yourself from the parent company. This gets back to the idea. It's hard for big, old companies to innovate, and the only way they can is essentially to create a brand new company within the old one. Audi has completely separate headquarters, hundreds of miles away from Volkswagen. The design teams are separate, different ad
0: agencies. It's all separate. And then step three, perhaps the hardest step, make a really cool car. Audi threw out everything that even hinted of Volkswagen or the old Audi when they designed these new cars. They started from the ground up, and they added all these cool new features like these LED running lights that were very popular. They also added all this tech appealing to the same folks who maybe would want to buy an iPod. There was Google Earth built into the car. So that's the blueprint, and Audi proved, if you follow
1: it successfully, it works. (laughs) In just 10 years, the cross-shop number moved from seven to two. Globally, Audi is the number two luxury brand, and most importantly, they have the youngest average age of a luxury automaker. They're cool. How far are we from D.C.? D.C., 250 miles. So cool that Tony Stark, the billionaire playboy in Iron Man movies, he drives an Audi. They hired Justin Timberlake, he's pretty cool, to do a whole internet ad campaign, it's kind of a mini movie series about Audi. And sure enough, today's stars ended up singing about Audi. True religion trousers. Got a private home, started from them public houses. Hair weave killer, causing her a rouser. Audi A8 told him Audi 5000.
0: That's Nicki Minaj featuring two chains with a Z singing about <laughs> Audi. So. That is all Lincoln has to do. Run a brilliantly conceived and perfectly executed ad campaign, redesign its cars from the ground up, make them cool and beautiful, and hire Justin Timberlake.
1: Exactly. Do all of that. It's one thing to have a blueprint, but it's another thing to actually execute
0: it. And I have to say, if it was tough for Audi, it seems even tougher for Lincoln. Remember, Audi, their cross shop score was seven. What is Lincoln's cross shop score?
1: Their number right now is 11 on that list, but they're following the blueprint. Right. Okay. So step one, become known. Check. Earlier this year, Lincoln hired a new ad agency. The campaign is still a secret. They've told me the theme would
0: be, though, surprise. And it's going to be different from the campaign that you sometimes see right now with the guy from Mad Men, Roger Sterling, who's voicing these Lincoln commercials. It's not going to be that. Exactly. Okay. Step two, separate yourself from the parent company.
1: Check on that as well. Lincoln has a separate new design studio. They no longer have to share space with Ford designers. It's not as separate as Audi got from Volkswagen. Remember, they're hundreds of miles away. Lincoln is only about two miles down the road from Ford.
0: All right. And what about step three? Design a really cool car. Well,
1: they have a new car coming out, and Megan Gillum with Lincoln showed it to me.
2: You'll also
3: notice that the roof looks a little bit different, and I'm sure you've probably heard a little bit about our optional retractable panoramic roof.
1: Now, this is the pre-production model of the Lincoln MKZ, and this is the car that they're staking their future on.
0: The money shot of the entire program. All right, so you got to tell us. You're our eyes. Will this work? I don't know if it'll work, but
1: this car is more stylish and daring than any Lincoln in decades, which admittedly is not saying much. It's got a huge retractable roof. The lines on the car are much more simple, they're clean, it looks sleek. I would say it's not gonna go down in history the way a nineteen sixty one Continental did, but it definitely looks different than most of the cars that are on the road right now. And it's funny, when you talk about cars, you naturally compare them to other cars. But the one car the folks at Lincoln don't want you comparing this to is to Ford, and I found that out during the tour. What would be equivalent size in another another vehicle this is like the size of say a Taurus it's the size
3: of a uh, it's the size of a Lexus ES this is this is a very close competitor of ours a Lexus ES
1: look at you not 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 infinity G (laughs) look at look at you not 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 referring to the the Ford equivalent it's completely
3: different from a Ford it shares underpinnings and that's where the similarities start stop this vehicle is completely differentiated from the floor pan up No shared, very few shared parts. The exterior is completely different. Not even so much as one piece of glass is shared.
0: Comparing to Ford is not a laughing matter to Megan.
1: (laughs) No, no, it's serious business, and she would not fall into a trap. In other words, step two of their blueprint, totally separate yourself from the parent company. It'll take a while to tell whether this bet to resurrect the Lincoln pays off. I mean, people don't buy cars the way they buy clothes. It takes a while for something that's new to become cool again. And we won't really know until we're at a blockbuster movie five or ten years from now, and Ryan Gosling, or the next Ryan Gosling, is playing a handsome trillionaire, and he drives off screen in a Lincoln.
2: Nothing but the best is good enough for me. I like to eat lobster.
0: We'll have a photo of the car scenario that you saw so listeners can judge for themselves. Is this the car that will restore glory to the American auto industry, add jobs across the Midwest? That's at npr.org/slash money. And before we close up, I'd like to
1: thank Ivan Dury at Edmonds.com who helped me figure out some of these really complicated auto sales numbers
0: for this story. And as always, we'd love to hear your thoughts. You can find us at Facebook, Twitter, Spotify. Also, come see Planet Money Live if you're in New York this Wednesday, June 13th. That's at the 92nd Street Y. Tickets still available. Details on our website, npr.org/slash money. I'm Alex Bloomberg. And I'm Sonari Glinton. Thank you for
2: listening. We're going to go traveling and have us a fling we'll visit a palace and dine with a king we're gonna start living you wait and see nothing but the best is good enough for me